16 million colors with some havoc in your head. All right, everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Titan Cast. As you'll remember, if you caught the last little podcast, we had a little discussion about our personal stories, our history with the system, you know, how the community has brought us back from the brink, the birth or rebirth, rather, of the Saturn junkyard. And we figured this week we go in a little more detail about some things and seeing how the Facebook page has garnered a huge number of new members. I mean, we've almost quadrupled in size over the span of a month. We figured we kind of delve into some of the beginning or baby steps rather that are the sega saturn and try to get some of y'all people who may have never had really any experience with the system back up to speed and get y'all on the flight line with the rest of us veterans so with that i also need to let everybody in on a little secret our lord and savior father k wasn't able to be present with us this week he actually had a a number of things going on with his family and friends and he kind of figured that it'd be best to keep the wife happy this time so we greatly appreciate his services, and we're going to keep rolling without him this week. So, much love to Father K, everybody. All right, y'all. Uh, let's see what we got going on today. Besides all the rancher and the introductions, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you know, our buddy old Virtual Slub, he came up with a topic back up on the Saturn Junkyard a couple of weeks back. Uh, it was basically an introduction, a newbie's guide to the Sega Saturn. And I'm going to kind of hand it over to Brian and let him give you a little bit of idea of what he had going down. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, really, um, over the last couple of weeks or so, I recently broke my leg uh, around Halloween. So I've had a, a quite a bit of free time over on my hands. Um, so, I, you know, I thought about just going through and seeing what kinds of uh, content like this might be helpful for a lot of the new members, as you were mentioning. I mean, we're at like 400 people now, which is insane, um, at least as of today. And so, uh, you know, so I think it makes sense that a lot of those people will probably be pretty new to the system. And I think um, it would behoove us to take a step back and and kind of go through a few talking points about, uh, you know, what you can expect um, as uh, new or even or even if you've owned the uh, Saturn for a while. Um, I think you know, it might help to go through an overview, just a little bit of the bullet points for the history and strengths and weaknesses of the console. Um, a little bit about how to uh, hook up your console and how to get a decent output uh, for your video in 2017. Um, some of the benefits of, of having accessories like uh, action replay and that kind of stuff that'll help uh, age your, make your uh, time uh, collecting for the Saturn a lot easier. Um, And certainly some of the benefits of importing um, and opening up to the Japanese uh, library for the system um, and other just odds and ends and tips and tricks we can think of um, that might uh, to just help get you a little more mileage out of what the Saturn's all about. Yeah, man. Uh, First off, I figured out that, you know, or at least I figured we could kind of talk about, like you said, the, the history of the system. And last week we had, you know, personal stories and everything. We kind of described, you know, the transition from the Sega Genesis Mega Drive to the Saturn, the eventual fall of the Saturn, and then the rise of the Dreamcast and the eventual fall of the Dreamcast. Now, you know, a lot of people, myself included, uh, I grew up in the mid-2000s thinking that 
the Sega Dream, I mean, Sega Saturn was just completely demolished by the PlayStation. And truth be told, I mean, if you really look at the facts, kind of like what I spoke about last week, the, technically, the system outperformed Sony's PlayStation over and over and over from a technical hardware aspect. Uh, there was a number of issues with it. You know, it had a dual processor. You had you had quadrangles instead of triangles. There was so many different things going on. On top of that, it was extremely hard to create transparencies for a lot of people. So a lot of people used dithering. There was so many different aspects from a 3D point of view that, that put the system at a disadvantage. But like a lot of us know, at least in the Sega Saturn community, the, the beast is ridiculous whenever it comes to 2D. Whenever it comes to 2D, it is a monster. It can demolish everything that you put in, in its wake. I mean, it truly was a 64-bit system to rule all 64-bit systems, at least in regards to the 2D dynamic. I mean, one of the only few exceptions might be everybody's going to talk about, you know, Castlevania on the PlayStation. But the truth be, truth be told is that Konami did a piss-poor port over the Sega Saturn. It, I mean, there was no real love put into the system. Yeah. Yeah, and that seemed like a pretty common, I mean, I don't know if there was just a patience issue or if developers felt it was just too expensive to put that much personnel into a project to try to really get the most out of the Saturn's complicated hardware, um, at least relative to the PlayStation. And so, yeah, I mean, there were unfortunately just far too many instances where you get these kind of half-ass ports that didn't uh, really hold up um, technically. Um, even if even if the uh, you know the innards of the console uh, theoretically could have uh, you know with a little more time and and dedication to that development cycle could have uh, gotten some pretty good results out of some of those uh, games that ended up underperforming. Right. I mean, for me at least, whenever I whenever I looked at the system way back when, I mean, you, you got to think about it like this: the Sega Saturn was only in relevance, at least here in the Western markets, for approximately three, maybe four years if you're really pushing it, okay? Um, whereas the Japanese were still pumping out games for it all the way until 2000, 2001, I believe. And yeah. we spoke about this, and this is going to allude later on to the, the episode. I mean, th there's over a thousand Sega Saturn games. A lot of them are exclusive to Japan. A number of the admins and, and administrators over at the uh, the junkyard will tell you about, you know, Sexy Paradise and uh, the Puyo Puyos and all these. And I mean, games that never made it stateside, never made it to power regions. Yeah. They're exclusive. They're, they're never coming over here. Um, there have been fan translations of some things. Like you've got the, um, what is it? Uh, yeah, I mean, you had like uh, Dragon Force 2 and uh, the, you know, scenarios 2 and 3 of the... Uh, Shining Force 3 and um, some of those, uh, Police Knots. Right, right. I mean, you had some awesome, just absolutely awesome games that took a while to get over here, and it was only because of the fans that it happened. So, I mean, you've got a massive library to look at. So the Sega Saturn was not a failure, at least not in regards to the games. It was a commercial failure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it sold about uh, nine and a quarter million worldwide. Um, and as you were saying, yeah, I mean, uh, in Japan, that was, it was by far the most successful. So, you know, looking back on it today, when you're kind of looking to see where, where, where should we, you know, where should you uh, focus your efforts on collecting? I mean, I've found um, 
almost in many instances, almost every instance, a game that ended up having really low print runs and was really rare in PAL and, uh, and North America uh, territories, um, you know, you can get for a lot cheaper um, by going for the uh, Japanese version. I mean, whether it's like Saturn Bomberman or um, House of the Dead 2 or House of the Dead 1, I'm sorry. Uh, and then a few other, uh, you know, quite a few other games, all the Panzer Dragoon, all the Panzer Dragoon game. Uh, I think there's just a lot of uh, benefits to owning a Saturn and being able to um, open yourself up to that Japanese side of things for sure. Yeah, and if you're going to talk about going to the Japanese market, of course, we've got to talk about the ability to play Japanese games. Um, one of the easiest routes to go, a lot of people do it all the time, is they get an action replay. Um, they are one megabyte, four megabyte, also have external memory capabilities, and they are they act as a they act as a game genie, and they also have the ability to bypass regions. So you have multiple things inside of this little box that can absolutely open up your library, not only to the Japanese market, but there's also European and NTSCU North American, you know, exclusives mm -hmm. that there are a number of games that are exclusive to the power region like deep fear with its English text and its English dialogue that were never seen over here in America. Now granted there's been fan patches that have dropped it over to 60 Hertz instead of the 50 Hertz it's originated in. But at the same time, it's very expensive to buy a PAL copy of that. It's a lot cheaper to buy the Japanese copy and get a walkthrough. So that, that, there, there's pros and cons to the action replay, at least whenever it comes to legitimate commercial disc. There's also the possibility that a lot of people use is they'll just import Japanese. Well, the, very rarely will you see people import PAL region consoles, but a lot of people will actually import Japanese consoles. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I don't think you can understate it uh, enough. I mean, that action replay, I think, is one of the first and foremost things you should buy or accessories you should get with a Saturn if you're a new time, if you're a newcomer to the system. Um, and, I, you know, even for me, I don't, I have one that's uh, unmodded and I love it just for all of the uh, save uh, backup storage it offers as well. So I can just keep pretty much all of my game saves in one place and not really have to worry about it too much. Um, although at the rate things are growing, I may need to get a couple more to <laughs> to supplement it. Right, and there, there's there's one caveat I do want to express right now, and that is the fact that if you do not understand this, I cannot express it enough. Whenever you're utilizing third-party apparatus, third-party cartridges, whatever it might be, whenever it comes to that RAM-ROM expansion port, anything that is third-party, do not pull it out and put it back in multiple times a day over yeah. the course of its life. Yeah. Um, those pins that basically the, the diameter of the actual slot is smaller than what the third-party pins are going to be. Um, more than likely, not 100% of the time, but more than likely. Going in and out, in and out like that, you have the possibility of breaking connections inside of the RAM expansion port. You also have the ability of expanding it to the point to where no connection can be had. We've had a number of members on the junkyard who have reported issues where utilizing first-party apparatus like specific ROM carts and specific RAM carts from Sega, they don't work because of the fact that there's ports on their Saturns 
they're not the speck anymore. They've been moved out of place. Legs have been broken. Things aren't right anymore. So that's one thing we have to stress. Yeah. That, and that exact thing happened to me when I bought my Saturn or my first Saturn, like it was in an eBay lot a long time ago. Um, it came with, and I think it was an interact uh, memory card. I'm not certain on the top of my head but that thing was just yeah it was a little too tight for those pins and you can tell the previous owner you know by the time i got to it and i you know i pretty much took that shit out immediately and and put in a, a normal size cart it, the damage was already done it didn't really matter because that uh that interact card um, pretty much messed up uh, that port and it's such a frail part of the hardware that yeah i mean i i feel like this is a really common issue I mean, it's got to be something that um, pretty much anybody who owned those third-party, uh, or at least the incorrect third-party parts or carts, had to deal with. That, that there, there are you can you can resolve the issue with these things at times. I mean, just because it's messed up right now doesn't mean it's going to be messed up forever. There are ways to fix it. Um, however. If you're wanting to go a different route, we've talked about modifications before, and later on down the line, we're going to have an entire episode dedicated to what you can actually do to the Saturn to expand your gaming library, expand your gaming experience. But if you don't want to go through the hassle of possibly messing up your RAM expansion port, you don't want to go through the the hassle of importing you know, consoles from halfway across the world that you don't know if they're going to work. You could always look at the modifications in the sense of there are switchless region mods, there are switched region mods, there are 50-60 hertz mods, there's numerous mods, and most of these mods don't actually, the chips themselves, the switches, they don't cost a lot of money. I mean, you're talking, generally speaking, $15, $20 to get everything going on. If you yourself have the ability to do it, you have no labor cost. Otherwise, most of the time, most modders are going to, I know myself, I normally charge people about $30 to do a job, regardless of what job it is, you know, because sometimes you'll have problems pop up. Sometimes you'll have to reorder stuff. So kind of keep that in mind. You know, if you do it yourself to go completely region free, complete region BIOS, skip the action replay, you know, just stick with Sega Saturn, Sega first party exclusive RAM expansion, also memory, all that, you're probably looking at about 10 to $15 on your own, probably about 40 if you get somebody else to do it. So that is one possibility if you're one of the people who are really worried about messing up your Saturn. Yeah, that's good to know. I mean, I feel like I need to, uh, <laughs> I need to take like a soldering 101 class or something. Because, you know, apart from fixing uh, random things here and there, just out of curiosity, I, I you know, yeah, that's a definitely a concern. I'm always worried I'll just mess, mess crap up. Yeah, and so I think the other aspect uh, that we wanted to get into here, um, you know, granted it's 22 years after the fact. So uh, the way that we uh, display our game consoles these days are, have, have drastically changed from back in the mid-90s. Um, and so, you know, I think for the most part, there have been a lot of good options for adapting to that. Um, and, you know, I think it makes sense to just go through really what you and I have been doing and what we'd recommend, as well as some of the other uh, more uh, fanciful options that might be out there um, to really get the best video quality um, out of the Saturn on a modern um, display. Uh, I mean, I think that, you know, one of the cool things, if you're able to get a CTR TV, I would highly recommend it. Um, if you can get one from a, a yard sale or a car boot sale or whatever, 
and not have to pay too much or, or, uh, you know, have to try to lug it home and, and that be an issue. Um, I think it's worth it because it's, uh, it's, it's awesome to just play all of those light gun games, which don't really work on modern uh, LCD or plasma or other HD TVs. No. Um, and, and the Saturn had some really awesome ones, uh, like house of the dead and, uh, Virtua Cop one and two and those types of games. Um, those are some of my favorite games for the console. So I'm, you know, I really try to make a point to keep a CTR, uh, TV on hand uh, just for just for that alone. So Sam, uh, what do you usually do for uh, hooking up your Saturn to an HD TV? Well, one thing I'm going to say before I even start talking is everybody needs to put down their pitchforks and understand that everybody has their own personal opinion. Everybody has their own personal preferences. So I don't want any CRT, PVM, BVM, FrameMeister, OCC, Flame War happening down <laughs> in the comments section. Um, it's a good disclaimer. To each their own. Yeah, to each their own. Me personally, finding a BVM or a PVM that is a large enough size for me to use. And for those who aren't in the know, you're basically talking about your professional video monitors. These are devices that have RGB hookups straight into the system. Um, what I mean by that is you can actually hook RGB straight into the TV natively. We're not talking about your SCART adapter or your JP21 adapter. We're talking about breaking it out into its individual components. So you have some of the best video picture quality, period. Hands down, commercial CRTs do not even compete. This is the truth. Most of the time, you're not going to find those TVs anything bigger than, like, I think the largest one I've ever seen in person was about 20 inches. Oh, wow. And that thing was massive, and it was huge, and it weighed twice as much as my 20-inch Toshiba yeah. CRT. Well, aren't they, aren't um, they really, isn't the tube in them really elongated, too? So it's, like, it's kind of a unique-looking display, I, I'm I'm not by any means a TV repairman, yeah. so I'm not even going to try to go into the technical aspects of that. What I do know is what they can do. Yeah. I know what they can visually do, and they can the the amount of control and input you have on them it, it it blows everything else out of the water. Now, one thing is is besides the bulkiness, besides the fact that these things are aging and eventually they will die, um, you just have the simple fact that a lot of people don't have the ease of access to them, and they don't want them anymore. Um, kind of, you know, regardless of how hardcore the retro gaming community is with using these things, at the end of the day, it's a lot easier to go down to the store and buy a 40-inch 1080p TV than it is to try to go hunt one of these down or hunt somebody down who can fix it. Um, not to mention, disclaimer, don't go breaking into a CR, a cathode ray tube TV. Um, there are things up in there that will kill you. So if you do not have the knowledge to work on one, and I mean absolute certainty, do not break it open. Um, you know, besides that though, what I personally do is I have a 20 inch Toshiba CRT flat screen that I've had since 2001. Um, it is my go-to CRT TV. Um, it is aging. There are a number of issues with it, and I have yet to find somebody who wants to fix it, and I have yet myself to want to fix it. Now, granted, I can still play on it, but about the top tenth of the screen, or the top point ten, whoever's listening to this, you you should understand tenth. Um, the top tenth of the screen has a lot of issues with visual distortion. Um, like I said, I'm not an engineer on these things. I have a general idea of what's going on with it, but it still works. It still does like gun games right. And I love it. Um, however, 
a number of years ago, I looked into going to the flat screen route, HDTV. Um, now, granted, whenever you plug composite in, it looks like absolute crap. To me, it does. Uh, not to mention whenever you put it in widescreen, it looks like absolute crap. So what about S-Video? Well, most TVs after about 2008 didn't even support S-Video anymore. So that was completely out of the realm of reason. VGA was still good to go. Dreamcast, still great. If you're playing on Dreamcast, get something from the Baharo brothers. Just pay the money. It's good quality crap. But this isn't a Dreamcast channel. Um, so whenever it comes to the Sega Saturn, and this is probably where the Flame War is going to start. If you do not want perfect pixels or as close to perfect in my opinion if you don't want that perfect pixel look then go with the oss the ossc um, open source scanline converter it doubles triples the image uh, i had one and i no longer have one the reason being is that to me the image looks distorted to me the picture quality at least in the form of luminosity seems extremely too bright it looks like i'm staring at the sun i don't like that um also it just seems I, I can never get an audio system to work properly the first ossc's didn't have good way to get audio from rgb out it didn't i mean for me it didn't work right um for one my tv didn't have the ability to plug in a 3.5 millimeter audio straight into an hdmi port i didn't have one next to an hdmi port i couldn't do it so for me that was completely shot however the frame meister you know xrgb mini frame meister from microsoft even though it's pretty much discontinued at this point i think there are still some pre-orders going around that one right there it costs a lot of money but to me, that's the best route to go. For me, that's the best route to go. For my setup with 9, 10 retro consoles, it's the best way to go. Um, for Especially since I'm in the United States where RGB was never natively supported on our TVs. You and me both know this, Brian. The best we had was Component. And that wasn't until like the late 90s. Um, so, and that is basically a format of RGB to an extent. Um, but for me, and this is kind of getting technical... For me, the best setup has been the Frame Meister. Um, again, you, what people need to do is they need to look at their setup and look at what they want and do the research and invest your money wisely. Um, I always tell people, do research, do research, do research, because once you have paid that money, it is done. Um, if it isn't something broken with it, you're not getting your money back unless you do like me and you sell it to somebody else. Uh, so do your research, see what you actually want. Hell, just try it out. Plug. I know it's, it's a cardinal sin to say this, but take your component, I mean, your composite cable, plug it into your big old 48 inch, 50 inch, however big TV you got and see how crap the picture looks. And if you're okay with it, roll on. <laughs> if you want the best picture possible, then yeah. come holler at us and we can talk to you. So, yeah, that, I mean, I think that's great advice. And I mean, one of these days I'm going to just bite the bullet and go for a frame meister. I mean, I think that has to be the next step. Um, but uh, I do want to like take a step back and, and dumb this down a bit. Uh, leave it to me to dumb anything down pretty much. Uh, but I kind of, hey man, somebody's got to do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I also want to talk a little bit about what I've been doing, which is kind of the stop gap, uh, the stopgap option, um, and you are, and you know, you're right. You know, it really sucks being in the U.S. or the North America and not really having SCART as a as a native input in any of our uh, 
in any of our displays here, or at least mainstream ones. So uh, that has sucked. But um, for what I've done, and this is a really relatively cheap route, um, since the FrameMeister and even OSSCs, I mean, those are at least, those are a couple hundred bucks or a few hundred bucks at least, right? About two, about 200 bucks right now, yeah. which if, if, if you, if you actually like that roll with it, baby. Yeah. Yeah. And I think if you're, you know, kind of in my boat where you're, you just wanted something that looks, uh, at least a huge step up from, uh, you know, composite rest video, but, but still isn't, you know, perfect or on the level of, of, uh, OSSC or frame Meister. I mean, this is kind of the middle of the road option, but honestly, I mean, for about 40, 50 bucks, you can get, and this is what I've done. I, I just have a RGB SCART cable, a pretty good quality one, uh, along with a, a HDMI adapter, um, for, for my plasma TV. Um, and that, has worked wonders. I mean, it still looks like for my purposes and my uh, standards, <laughs> whatever they may be, um, you know, it's actually a pretty crisp image. And I was very surprised once I got that uh, hookup um, working. And it's not any HDMI adapter. I mean, some of them like do a little better job uh, with a little, you know, scaling than others. Uh, but the one that I have right now, um, I don't know if I should, I could, I guess I could uh, post a link to it to Amazon or whatever in the um, comments or however we're doing this. Um, but, but for, yeah, for less than 40, 50 bucks, it's been a fantastic option for me. So I'm, I've been pretty happy with that RGB SCART and uh, HDMI converter. And, and that's one thing to understand for people is that you have converters and you have upscalers converters that this is getting down to the technical aspect of it. Whenever it comes to, whenever it comes to the Sega Saturn, like many consoles in that generation, um, you were still dealing with 240p and 480i. Though that's pretty much that. That was it. And 480i is nothing more than an abomination. I mean, excuse me, 240p is nothing more than an abomination of 480i. Uh, it, it's just the exploit that people use. Um, native TVs in, in NTSC countries use 480i as standard definition television. Um, gaming co corporations and developers figured out that they could do this little trick and make it into 240p. So that's really all you're going to get out of it. So whenever you have a converter that's taking an RGB signal and converting it over to HDMI or component or whatever the case might be, it's not upscaling it what it's doing is it's just doing a simple pass through it's changing how it gets there it's like an extension cord that's got an extra prong on it that you don't need it's there but you don't need it um and in, one thing to understand about that however is that a lot of modern displays have a really hard time displaying 240p a lot of them actually have a hard time understanding 480i because it's been discontinued i mean at least here in america we don't even support standard definition TV anymore. Everything's gone to high definition. Um, so a lot of TVs do not even understand what they, they have inside of every computer. There's an upscaler and this is where your lag comes in whenever you're just plugging straight into the TV. Um, whenever the picture is not a proper high definition format, what happens is, is that the TV itself has to go, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, whoa, 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 this is not cool. All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to stretch this thing. I'm going to stretch that a little bit this way. Okay, we're going to just like throw it down. It looks like shit, but guess what? It's the right format. And that's what your TV does. And it takes 10, 15 frames. I'm, I'm, I'm exaggerating here, but it takes time for the TV to do that. So whenever you're using a straight converter like, like Brian's doing, you have to understand you're going to have lag introduced. 
the very same way as the frame monster has lag it has very much significantly less lag because the actual frame monster is doing all the processing for you so whenever it gets to your tv your tv really doesn't have to do anything me myself i get about four or five seconds of lag on one of my screens oh, wow. four or five frames frames yeah, no, 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 not four or five seconds. God, no, four or five frames. And here in America, you're talking about, you know, 60 frames a second. So I've got, you know, four or five frames on one TV and my other TV, I get like three frames. Not even that. It's like yeah. two and a half frames. So, you know, it, it, your mileage may vary. Whereas you've got some converters that just go straight up six, seven frames a second, which is actually pretty noticeable for most people. And then you get to things like your OSSC, which have virtually no there's actually no lag sometimes. I mean, it's just straight pass through. And that's one of the only benefits. I mean, I'm not going to say the only benefit, but it's a very big leg up that the OSSC has over the Frame Meister. At least if you're in like the group of people who want to play, you know, platformers that are very precise or shoot 'em up, stuff like that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think this, uh, this is a lot more detail than I expected we go into on this, but I think it's super important to kind of weigh the, the pros and cons of each of these uh, setups at each you know price point, um, and certainly OSSC seems like it has a lot going for it. Well, yeah, I was just saying, uh, going back to the leg issue. I mean, that's certainly a you know a, a downfall. Really, anytime you're you're routing uh, you know anything through a converter, let alone multiple converters. So, um, I, you know, in my experience with the ones that I've had, I had to go through like two or three before I got one that I felt was good enough. Um, and even then, you're going to get a few frames of lag out of it. Uh, mine's a, probably a little more just because I have it hooked up to a Panasonic Plasma, which in itself introduces a little more lag over over like a um, just like most LCD TVs. Um, but I'm also not a, a fighting game aficionado, so I uh, you know those extra frames, you know, for me and most of the games I play and how much I generally suck at them uh, doesn't really. Uh, isn't it really going to uh, make much of a difference um, in my mind? But um, but I, you know I still think there are uh, some affordable options that are depending on what your tastes are also pretty relatively uh, acceptable in that um, leg department as well. Right, and you know if we're going to talk about you know all these different ways of looking at screens, actually getting the best resolution, et cetera, et cetera, you know we need to start talking about the peripherals because yes. there's it doesn't matter what your picture looks like if you're playing with an yes, actual yes. crap controller in your hands. <laughs> I mean, so, whatever it all boils so down to. And so I, I take it you're not a, a bulky, uh, what is that, the Mark I uh, fan? Uh, you know, we call it a Mark I, but the truth be told, it isn't a Mark I. Um, it's not. Uh, not hold on only just in North two America, seconds. Really. Yeah, only in North America was it a Mark One. If you'll give me two seconds, I'll just jump out and throw down some knowledge on you real fast. Yeah, go for it. Um, let's see, let's see. the The one you're talking about is the model eighty eight. Is the model eighty thousand one hundred? The eighty thousand one hundred model was the Mark One yeah. per se, and that's the big bulky. Con the big bulky one that everybody likes to give so much credit, you know, well, bad talk to. But at the end of the day, what we ended up getting here in the States, at least the Mark II, as we call it, that was the 80,116. Um, and that is the original controller, the original gamepad that shipped with the Sega Saturn in Japan. So if we're going to talk about the bulky 
the Duke of the Sega Saturn <laughs> versus the slimline version. You know, for me, it really wasn't it wasn't that bad a deal because I mean, hell, I never even got my hands on a Mark II, you know, controller until I want to say ninety nine, two thousand, yeah. almost. I mean, it was, I mean, I was playing the Sat, the the Dreamcast by the time I finally got my hands on one, and yes, it felt tremendously better, but it also felt really weird because I'd used that big controller for years and got accustomed to it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm in a similar, well, not a similar boat, just because I was a relative latecomer to the system and I got. Uh, one of each pretty early on but honestly i mean for for my purposes uh i okay i will say objectively the the slimmer controller is better in almost every way uh i think the button uh quality is a bit better the d-pad's way better um but one thing i will say about the bulky one i mean that's the one i probably use the most often um, mainly in my situation my wrist to you know started having some like carpal tunnel issues in the last uh, year or so so uh, having a bulkier pad that really settles into the palms uh, like that uh, original north american one did um, actually is really more comfortable for me even though um, the d-pad's a little more uh, you know it's a little more uh, frail and finicky um, and the buttons i think uh, aren't quite as don't they they don't really hold position quite as as solidly as the uh, mark ii but, but I, I honestly i like both controllers i really do now I, I think I'm I think I'm gonna pull out some heresy right here. Um, for me personally, whenever it comes to fighting games, I, I want the 3D controller. I want the UFO in my hands. Yeah, I, I don't analog. care what anybody yeah, says. The analog, the, the analog controller is bad ass whenever it comes to fighting games in my opinion mm -hmm. um it's just something about that layout it's so now a lot of people absolutely hate absolutely hate the sega dreamcast controller I, i'm kind of partial to it but myself that ufo controller is just it where the button placement is the triggers everything else the d-pad it, it, it's a beautiful controller not to mention if you want to play a 3d game or you want to play a 3d enabled controller game you're going to have to use it i mean and there's there's a number of large number of titles that, that actually support it yeah yeah i i love that controller as well um i mean aside from being an absolute necessity for certain games like knights where you know you need to have a continuous 360 a rolling motion with the 3d analog pad or the stick um you know i i like it for a lot of racing games as well particularly when you can um, i think daytona usa um, at least the japanese circuit edition one and, and some of the others uh, let you map the uh, accelerator and brake to the um, trigger buttons and the trigger buttons are right. by far and away the best improvement beyond the analog stick in my opinion uh, over the original controllers um, and, and it was in many ways, as you were alluding, a precursor to what the Dreamcast and how that would generally handle its layout as well as its uh, trigger functionality. And, and I think it was a huge step forward for um, a lot of those games, for sure. Yeah, and uh, we also have, you have, um, what is it? There was, was there two wheels released? Mm -hmm. There was a steering wheel released. There were multiple fighting sticks released. There was also the ASCII pad. I mean, there was a number of high quality controllers and interfaces that were produced for the Saturn. A lot of them exclusively to Japan. I mean, there's actually, you know, a way to control a train. That's the one game that you can play on it, but there's actually a controller for a train. Yeah, I just bought that. 
I uh, had actually had some. Oh yeah, no, I had some friends over last weekend, and uh, you know, none of you know, we'll play the occasional like Samba de Amigo or um, you know some of the PSVR games and stuff, and and uh, and and they like uh, Bomberman as well. Um, but uh, yeah, we were busting this out, and none of us could really figure out how it worked. But it seems like a relatively simple game and the and the control pad is really crazy because it has like just like two levers one of them you're you know using for the accelerator and it has like different positions you want to you know gradually um get it into i think i I don't know if they're gears or whatever it is and then the other one is going to be your brake and so it'll like pop up with all of these warning messages as you're going down the track if you accidentally you know move the brake while you still have the accelerator full full throttle or if it's too early and um and it's like it's i don't know for us it was pretty confusing but we had a ton of fun just because you're you know messing around and passengers are you know falling over or getting pissed that you missed a stop and yeah, it's uh, it's that's I don't know. I just love the quirkiness of that kind of stuff, and, and I think that what Dencha de Go, that's the name of the game. Um, but yeah, that's that's Japan for you right there, man. Um, and also, I think we should talk. We got to talk about the stunner light gun, shouldn't we? Yeah, I mean, so I you know this week, um, I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, but I, you know I broke my leg a bit uh, or uh, a while back, and so um, I've been kind of just hanging out next to my CRT TV uh, the whole time. And I've put in a pretty good, uh, some pretty good quality time with Virtua Cop 2 and House of the Dead. And um, it's just a, it's, I don't know, it's just an awesome old school light gun. Like you can tell that compared to the, you know, PlayStation Move or the Vive, or uh, sorry, the Oculus controllers or any of the new fangled motion sensors, uh, any of the Wii stuff, like even compared to that, it is incredibly primitive. I mean, you basically just have the the tube read the position of, of, uh, the beam where you click the trigger and that's about it, whether it's on screen or off screen. And it's like, you know, I don't, I don't know how accurate it is compared to some of those newer technologies, but for those types of games and those arcade ports where you're just shooting up, uh, you know, terrorists and zombies and stuff, it's, I don't know, it's just such a fun, gratifying uh, piece of hardware. Um, I, and I, you know, I, I love uh, that the Saturn kind of embraced those types of games. And, and I guess back then that was still, you know, a pretty, pretty common genre to see. I mean, you have the Time Crisis games on the PlayStation. Um, I don't know if the 64 ever had much of that, but, um, but man, yeah, that's, that's a, uh, awesome. if you have a CRT TV, um, and you get a Saturn, I mean, I, I highly recommend picking up a, a stunner like, and those are like the orange plasticky, um, you know, it just looks like a toy, but it's, it's so much fun. Yeah, and one thing we kind of we kind of jumped over it, but the one thing too everybody needs to understand, if you've been with the Saturn for a while, you already know about it because eventually, and if you buy a brand new Saturn, you're going to know about it pretty quickly. Whenever you crank that bad boy up, it's going to ask you what date it is, just like the Sega Dreamcast does oh, every yeah. single time. Um, guess what, boys and girls? At least you're safe from having to solder things because <laughs> Sega, for once. You know, they did something really good, and that was they made it to where you can just go grab a, a CR2032 uh, battery, yeah, and you can just pop that little back off, throw it down, and guess what? Not only will that clock chill out and not do any more crazy stuff, you can set it up right, everything's good to go, but you also have about a thousand blocks of memory. Yep. So that was amazing. Think about it. That was the only console of that generation that allowed for direct save to the console. The the PlayStation didn't do it. 
the um, N64 didn't save directly to the console. If it did have a save function built in, it was built onto the cartridge. But yeah, that's generally speaking a good introduction to the Sega Saturn. I mean, we've covered everything from games, import quality, how to play imports, how to actually get some good quality picture out of your system, how to save your games if you don't want to invest in a memory card um, or a memory cart, I should say. And also, we talked a lot about how you can actually interact with the system whenever it comes to the peripherals and everything. Um, one thing I would like to say is we appreciate everybody who took their time and actually listened to the last last podcast. And we appreciate everybody who's coming to the junkyard, showing their love, not only for the sake of Saturn, but also for the community that's built up. Again, we couldn't do this if y'all weren't here. I mean, yeah, we could sit here and talk about all this stuff and have a grand old time and laugh at each other and everything. But at the end of the day, we do this because people like to listen to us. You know, y'all are our audience and we want to talk to y'all. We want to talk about what y'all want to hear about. So if you ever have any recommendations or any ideas or topics on, you know, what we could actually discuss, drop it in the comments, whether it be on Facebook or whether it be on YouTube. Believe me, we do read them. We do look at them. Uh, Brian, you got anything? Uh, no, but I mean, just to echo kind of what you were saying, um, I, you know, I'm really appreciative that this community is kind of flourishing to what it is. And, um, and the people on here, I mean, you know, you guys are awesome. Like whether or not you're listening to the podcast, I mean, just the, the Facebook community in itself, um, is just a really fun place to go and check, um, and see what, you know, new topics have come up and what other just crazy antics people have gotten into. So um, and, you know, I think it's, it really helps to have like that, uh, you know, a member base and everybody out there that's just so engaged and so passionate about the Saturn and so willing to share their experiences and ideas and, um, and everything about it. So, and, and just learn from each other. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm really grateful to have, uh, that whole community as a resource for, for just, you know, getting more out of the console. So again, from all of us here at the junkyard. Thanks for stopping by. This is us signing off.